What would you do if you got scammed? Would you suffer in silence or would you do something about it? Well, I got scammed once and this is the story of what I did. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, a true crime podcast from The Ringer. And for seven episodes, we're hunting a con man, a guy with a lot of aliases, a guy who's ruined a lot of weddings. And with the help of some friends, I just might be able to catch him. Listen to The Wedding Scammer on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. David? Yes? We have a shock poll, to use the term favored by British newspapers and Matt Drudge. New York Times and Siena College report that Joe, the Kobe stopper Biden, is now trailing Donald Trump in five swing states. Pretty gruesome numbers here for Biden. Michigan. We know any Democratic victory in a presidential campaign goes through Michigan. Biden trails by five points. Ditto Pennsylvania. Biden trails in this survey by four points. The only good news comes from Wisconsin, where Biden has a narrow 47 to 45 percentage point lead over Donald Trump. What did you notice about the political media's reaction to this shock poll? I feel like somewhere in the background, my old Kentucky home is playing. I can hear it ringing through the through the ether because um, the horse race is about to start, or I guess it's already started now, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. there is a um, uh, well, if you want to read, you know, the sort of most like cliched implications into all the media reactions. There, I'm sure there's some, you know, dread at the prospect of of President Trump, but also there's this real bloodlust, you know, this real this real thirst and hunger for Horse race coverage uh, and for all the, you know, uh, exciting chirons and bumpers that can spill forth from that. Almost a sense of relief, isn't it? Because we've gone three months, Mm -hmm. four months, maybe more without anything remotely horse racy happening in this election. 
Sure. I mean, from the assignment desk, it certainly does crystallize things, right? I mean, we can kind of stop paying attention to all the other Republican challengers, uh, or at least stop treating them as legitimate uh, potential forces. I mean, I guess all of their candidacies were sort of based on the uh, based on Trump somehow not being able to run. Uh, at least it did sort of dwindled to that point in in all of their cases. But um, you know, I mean, the the, the organizing principle behind a lot of those campaigns, at least in recent months, has been, you know, I can beat Biden and Trump can't. Trump has proven he can't beat Biden. Now this poll says, yes, Trump can beat Biden. So at least hypothetically, according to this one shock poll, it's feasible. By the way, I had to open up the Drudge Report for the first time in probably a year to make sure that it still existed after you name-checked it. So Just a year? I think about once a year I say, wait a second, does the Drudge Report still exist? And I go and I look at it and be like, oh. I'm just teleported back to 2004 or whatever that was, you know, everybody's homepage. Where we got our shock polls back in the day. Mm -hmm. It's funny that the Republican horse race never happened. Like one horse shot out of the gate and the other horses walked out and just sat down on the turf. I think you're giving the Trump horse too much credit. I think the Trump horse was already just hanging out like eating grass by the finish line. And the rest of the horses are just sort of like walking very slowly with no interest in actually rounding the turn. Yeah, they're like, is there a race? We're supposed to be running against that other horse over there? Mm-hmm. Not just competing amongst ourselves? Yeah. They're all like walk tripping one another, you know, and, and doing whatever nefarious things jockeys do. I can't remember where we left that horse race. I think it was Nikki Haley is surpassing Ron DeSantis in Iowa. But DeSantis just got the governor's uh, endorsement, which is... Unusual okay. and significant, I guess. <laughs> but the Democratic side, then people say, okay, reporters said, okay, what, what if there's something over here? And we knew that in poll after poll, respondents would say, we're worried that Biden is too old to run again, too mm -hmm. old to have another term. Which for a political reporter, that gives you a little bit of a peg to write about it. Then there was Dean Phillips representative from minnesota getting into the mm -hmm. race okay kind of a peg you know we're gonna have a lbj in 68 thing where there'll be some result early in the process and biden says uh oh i gotta get out of here i gotta withdraw they don't want me as a nominee but now i think this poll at least introduces into your copy the chance however remote that Biden won't be the nominee in 2024, despite the lateness of the hour. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I kind of think that probably isn't going to happen. But if you're a political reporter doing horse race coverage, which is a lot of prognostication, right? Now you get to write the think piece that says, well, you know, is he going to look at these results and say, it's Gavin Newsom time, baby. It's JB. I was going to say time. you left Gavin Newsom out of your out of your 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 readout of the Democratic campaign. He was out there, you know, uh, just just brushing. If we're going to stick to the equine uh, metaphors, he was just brushing the white horse that he was hoping to to ride in on in front of all, any camera that would take a picture. Um, hoping that someone would would uh, would would sound the horn, and and that didn't really work. I mean, he made good show of himself or whatever, but I don't think anybody nobody stopped to say, hey, maybe he should be our candidate. Um, I don't know. I mean, listen, this is going to be the, the this is all has long been if, if well, if this poll 
is now going to steer coverage for a while. I mean, the coverage up to this point, at least on, on the Biden side, has been being has been driven by questions about his age, uh, and I guess you know by extension his competence. Um, it is, uh, you know, if I were a political writer, I would probably be thinking in some galaxy brain way about, you know, how deep is the hole and how big could the comeback be, right? Because we saw in the last campaign, questions about Biden's uh, mental felicity worked in his favor, I think, in large part. But could the hole be dug too deep, you know? Could that be too ingrained into people's perception of him? And could that obviously, you know, I don't know if it's going to affect affect people's opinions. I don't know, it's going to make people switch, switch candidates so much as it might just depress the vote. And I think, you know, I mean, there were some really interesting and borderline shocking numbers, you know, in that poll. Um, a lot of like, you know, minority uh, voters were leaning towards Trump now that weren't before, which it just seems sort of implausible but sure and and but i think built into all of that is it just sort of shoulder shrug you know i mean biden is never going to be a candidate like you know a, a mission candidate a, a, you know everybody get out of your bed you know leave your house run out the door and vote for him sort of guy uh that wasn't the plan for you know four years ago and but i guess the biden campaign's hope has got to be that that trump animates people in the opposite direction as well as in the positive direction. Also, it has to be said, with the trials that he's in and everything else, Trump is a lot more present than our president to a lot of people. And that certainly, I think, affects the way a lot of people think about who they're going to vote for. Absolutely. And you already saw it this weekend. Look, if the if the concern is that Biden is too old, is it not up to another term, then as we've been saying on this podcast, there is one way to dispel those notions let's put biden in public even more than he is already in public mm-hmm. you know more interviews more out there him demonstrating his ability to do the job which is a time-honored political technique i think if you write about the shock poll the one data point you need as a political reporter is unrest in the democratic ranks you can't mm-hmm. just have the top line number you need a prominent Democrat echoing those concerns. Well, David, you and I talked last week about how the dial a quote has been replaced by the quote tweet. (laughs) Yes. Here comes David Axelrod, who we all know from helping get Barack Obama elected back in 2008 with a very, very quotable tweet. Only at Joe Biden can make this decision. Axelrod tweets. And of course, he's talking about whether Biden's going to run or not. If he continues to run, he will be the nominee of the Democratic Party. What he needs to decide is whether that is wise, whether it's in his best interest or the country's. Problem solved. Yeah. Now I got the top line number, and now I've got a Democratic grandee, if you will, David Axelrod, echoing those concerns. Mm -hmm. Peace is written. Yeah. Write me a kicker, quote a couple more tweets from concerned Democrats. Is Donna Brazil available? <laughs> Let's get this baby filed. We got a horse race. Coming up on today's pod, David, weekend audio takes us from the set of PTI to a college football coach's radio show. 
We ask, when is the right time to criticize a college basketball coach after his death? And HBO has a message for TV critics from a phony Twitter account. All that and much more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, and producer Steve Allman, who is sitting in for Erica here. David, let us do a little weekend audio. All right. To get this podcast started. I'm going to take you to Dayline Frankfurt, Germany. As a way to discuss the announcer generational pop culture divide. Rich Eisen of the NFL Network was calling Chiefs Dolphins on Sunday morning. I guess there were some madcap substitutions by the Chiefs. And Eisen mentioned the Benny Hill show. Do you think his partner, Dan Orlovsky, <laughs> knew what the Benny Hill show was? I know the answer to this, so I'll abstain. All right, Steve, the answer to the question is... Back here, Mike McDaniel, as you can see, has removed the shades. He came in with those shades. Now he's just straight glasses. I guess that's what happens when the sun goes down. Well, 20 minutes up. and no offense, yeah. no he's, points. He's Change all, up the look. Rally cap. It's all business now, baby. What, what is the Benny Hill show, bud? Oh, it's something when you were not born, I guess. <laughs> Dan Olofsky, by the way, is 40 years old. Yeah, so, he's in our demographic. I feel like you should know what the Benny, the Benny Hill show is. Yeah. I, I, although I guess the Benny Hill, it, it, it's a little bit self-selecting. I mean, some people have seen the Benny Hill show. Some people who maybe grew up without cable television. I'm extrapolating here. But maybe that was the, you know, the only thing you could watch at a certain time of day. I certainly saw it on my television, but I feel like I saw it more in other shows making reference to the Benny Hill show, right? An episode of The yes. Simpsons or something would have people running in and out of doors in a hallway with the music playing in the background, you know, with the madcap chase scene or whatever. You're talking about yakety sex. Yes. I think that's mostly what I know of the Benny Hill show. Yeah is the music and like a couple of minutes long glimpses at people in fast forward, running around a park, chasing each other and maybe somebody's pants falling down. Yeah. In the process. I want to bring Steve in here for further, <laughs> further deep dive on this. Steve, do you, are you familiar with the Benny Hill show? Yes, I am. I am. I am aware of that. And it's mainly what you, what you mentioned before. The idea, the whole, you know, glimpses of it in pop culture and maybe the actual show once in a while. Yes, I recall somebody getting socked in the nose, and I think that's about it. <laughs> really a standby of British comedy. Wouldn't that we be great if the Benny Ho show was actually just like a real thoughtful drama or something, and they just had those little bumpers on every episode? Like, we have a totally askew vision of what the Benny Hill show... I can't even say... By the way, I cannot say Benny Hill... We, clearly, for fear that I'm going to say Benny Hinn, which was the oh, other, God. which was a totally different show that absorbed um, <laughs> a lot of television time in our childhood, was a televangelist or just a healer? Was he? Uh, a I'm not totally sure, but those are definitely two things you didn't necessarily want to see on television. No, those are both things that were on instead of the whatever the 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 the, the Full House rerun that you were hoping for. 
We'll see if Steve can clear the rights, but maybe we can play a little yakety sax uh, in lieu of the normal theme song at the end of this podcast. <laughs> Meantime, David, Dateline, Clemson, South Carolina, where one of college football's most venerable forms was taking place. That is the coaches call in radio show. I kind of can't believe these are still happening. I can't either. In the era of social media, like somebody gets to call in and confront the highly paid coach of the football team. <laughs> in this case, it was Clemson coach Dabo Swinney, whose Tigers were four and four, and a caller named Tyler from Spartanburg, South Carolina got in. Oh. Call was really long, and I mean really long, so I'm just going to give you a few choice bits here is Tyler versus Dabo Swinney. Appreciate everything you said, Coach Coach Swinney. Um, it sounded a whole lot like Tommy Bowden. And I'll tell you one thing, Tommy Bowden didn't make the, the same amount of money as you do. You make $11.5 million a year. So there's two things there for any fan of college football. One <laughs> yeah. is mention of less successful coach mm-hmm. from the past. And then the second is the quoting the coach's salary. Yeah. Which never gets brought up when the coach is winning. Yeah. It's only when you start losing. Can you believe we're paying him this much money? By we, I mean some wealthy alum is paying him this much money. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not we. It's not your tax dollars at work. Here's a little more from uh, Tyler from Spartanburg and a literary illusion, David, I think you might appreciate. I respect the fact that you're a man of faith. Um, mm. I'm curious. Uh, if you've ever read Proverbs sixteen eighteen, which talks about pride coming before the fall. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you hear Dabo kind of grunting a few times during this call. That was <laughs> definitely one of them. Oh, my goodness. What a call. I don't know what? if you've ever heard of this Bible verse. You, lately, you and I have been enjoying coaches, excuse me, in post-game interviews, cutting a promo. Mm-hmm. On a media member, whether that is Steve Smith or Lou Holtz. Well, here on his radio show, Dabo Swinney cut a promo on Tyler from Spartanburg. Oh, yes. Clemson ain't sniffed a national championship for 35 years. We've won two in seven years. And there's only two other teams that can say that, Georgia and Alabama. Okay? Is this a bad year? Is this a – yeah. And it's my responsibility. Take 100% responsibility for it. But all this bull crap you're thinking, all these narratives you read – Listen, man, you can have your opinion all you want, and you can apply for the job, and good luck to you. You can apply <laughs> for the job? Yeah. Another standby of the coach under fire. Here's a little bit more Adabo. I'm sure you've never made any bad decisions. I'm sure you've lived a perfect life. I'm sure you've never, I'm sure you've led a bunch of people. I'm sure you do your job in front. So to answer your question, I started as the lowest paid coach in this freaking business. All right? And I'm where I am because I've worked my ass off every single day. And I ain't going to let some smart-ass kid get on this phone and create this stuff. <laughs> yes. What have you ever done, David Shoemaker? It's a good question. We love to laugh at college football coaches when they bust out that performance heart that would have passed muster maybe at the Pascal High School Drama Club. Mm-hmm. But you know what? We've never said of a college football coach, even a successful one, you know, that guy's a really subtle humorist. 
the whole goal of the job, is it not, is to be a big old ham. Yeah. To choose scenery. Absolutely. Which helps you break through and get your message out to whoever needs to hear the message. I mean, we talked about it with these the sideline interviews before, but do you, you think Dabo Sweeney, now I'm not saying that that caller was fake, but do you think Dabo <laughs> Sweeney was, had like, you know, practiced the speech in the mirror a couple times before he got on the radio? He had to know something like this was coming, right? And this is part of the, part of the gig, like you said. It's a great question because the speech he gave sounded really good. The case that it was not a plant is that those are things college football coaches say all the time. True. Stuff is top of mind for them. But there's another piece of evidence. Clemson went out and upset Notre Dame on Saturday. Yeah. And Maybe if he that practiced- was something people needed to hear. It's true. And if he'd practiced it, if he'd really taken the time to write it, to write it down, he probably could have gone back to another great text and said, you know, you say your prayers, you read your Proverbs. Well, I got a verse for you. <laughs> anyway. Uh, up next, Dateline, the set of Pardon the Interruption. Michael Wilbon was on the show with fill-in host Frank Isola. And you'll never believe this, Michael Wilbon, not a fan of the NBA's in-season tournament. These aren't yes. separate games. It's a game yep. on the schedule you're paying good money to see. Players are being paid to play these games. And now you're telling me, I'm going to assign something else. Speaking of yes. our obsession yes. with analytical junk. So I'm going to assign something phony to it. Let the marketing people run my league. The marketing people are going to say to you, you know, go watch this game. We're going to assign it an extra value so we can then give people orange slices and trophies at the end of it. <laughs> wow. A lot of uh, entries on the bingo card filled up there, no? Jeez, Louise, I was not expecting that. I've heard a lot of takes on the in-season tournament, a lot of not-so-positive ones. That was not one I was expecting. Well, didn't it remind you of just a kind of take that has disappeared from sports journalism? over the last few years, which is the kind of crusty columnist take that we grew up with. Oh, yeah. I mean, the nod at participation trophies, the swipe at analytics. That I can't. That just came out of left field. Um, yeah, no, it, it is a very, I mean, I guess it's become a little bit unfashionable to, to, play, to, to play the, uh, you know, these guys are getting paid to do a job card. Uh, in, in a lot of calm writing and on and, and television opining. Um, but the in-season tournament has certainly given it, you know, given us a good reason to bring it back, right? I mean, if, you, if, that, if you've been dying to make that case, this is a good one. Here's a smidge more of Wilbon on the in-season tourney. Jordan was saying that anyway. He didn't need trophy and orange slices. He went in there and said, get the ice pack off your knee because you're playing tonight and you're playing tonight and you're playing. He didn't need a phony cup. He didn't need a theft from soccer. This is good to satisfy all the under 40 soccer heads. <laughs> Love that we got wow. soccer in there with the participation trophy and the analytics. I didn't know. Yeah, this, I, I had never heard it as like a, as it's about heard that soccer take. Like we're just ripping off soccer because there's so many soccer fans now we're trying to appeal to. I, <laughs> I, I think it's that it seems a, a little bit misdirected. Um, I man. say 
I say this with total sincerity, dude. I miss this kind of take being a bigger part of the sports media universe. I think back to the days of old Deadspin where you had still the old guard of columnists writing for newspapers. Mm-hmm. And then you had the bratty Johnny come lately's at old Deadspin going, look at this moron with this opinion. Yeah. But I miss those opinions because I think sometimes those opinions are the necessary corrective <laughs> to the media universe that we have developed. If that's the word on sports Twitter, go on. Well, it, I just think sometimes you need somebody coming in strong just to yank things back the other way a little bit. Okay. We were all making fun of the courts. Mm-hmm. Sure during were. at the beginning of the in-season tournament. But there weren't that many takes in the universe where like, this is a terrible idea. This <laughs> is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I'm not even saying that's right. I don't even think this is the stupidest thing the NBA's ever done. But I kind of like that because it writes the universe a little bit. <laughs> it brings things into alignment. We can't get to the right answer unless we explore the polarities of possible responses here. Yeah. I think I told you I missed this during the whole F1 boom, which may, may have come to an end. I'm not sure where we are on F1 fandom among previous non-F1 fans. Oh, God. But I just wanted somebody like this to come out, and maybe I should have done it myself, and just say, like, guys, this sport is incredibly boring. <laughs> I'm sorry. One guy wins all the races. Sometimes he leads for every lap of the race. This is boring. This is boring. It's okay to say it's boring. It's okay not to like this. You don't have to be, you don't have to follow everybody else. Pied Piper like in F1 fandom. <laughs> but nobody was available to say that, at least that I heard. And I miss these kind of takes. Yeah. Hey, Brian, if you want to write it, feel free to apply for the job. Crusty old uh, sports columnist at yeah. the ringer. <laughs> There was a funny one where Michael Wilbon a couple years ago went on his show and he called Lane Kiffin, who's the head coach now at Ole Miss, a clown. Mm -hmm. And college football Twitter just erupted. I mean, it was like, you are not following the sport. You don't understand how what a great job Lane Kiffin's done at Ole Miss. And then that weekend, I remember Lane did something funny with the sideline reporter before the Alabama game, like a little stunt. Yeah. And then went out and just got destroyed by Alabama. <laughs> like, I'm not saying Michael Wilbon's right, but shouldn't this point be expressed somehow in the universe? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Thanks to Awful announcing for those clips. All right, David, coming up in 30 seconds, a basketball coach was complicated. He was controversial. When's the right time to say that? But first, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod, where they are always, always gratefully received. David, there was a Texas tech TCU game last Thursday. Mm -hmm. Something amazing happened. A possum, or if you prefer an opossum. Thank you. Appeared on the field in Lubbock before it was captured by tech officials. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, wow, Connor Stallion's disguises are getting out of control. <laughs> That's the guy that was flying from Michigan, allegedly. 
Thank you to Doug Newkirk, excuse me, and Zach Brooks for that one. If a Michigan alum in your life seems a little quieter than normal, or perhaps a little more defiant than normal, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus. View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, in the notebook dump, we got a note from nephew Kyle, who is, David, one of the most loyal episode by episode listeners of this podcast yes he is at least at the ringer i always keep a little mental list of our ringer colleagues who are listening to the show and the ones that aren't sadly one list is a little longer than the other (laughs) i'm working on it but nephew kyle wanted us to weigh in on the bobby knight obits bobby Mm. knight of course three-time national champion coach at indiana he was later at texas tech the aforementioned texas tech He died last week at the age of 83. Now, Bobby Knight is somebody, David, who has a mountain of success coaching college basketball. Mm -hmm. He's also got a mountain of stuff that you can bring up to talk about why Bobby Knight was not a good guy. Mm -hmm. What do you think the rule is? And related question, what should the rule be in terms of how soon is too soon to bring up the unsavory parts of Bobby Knight's legacy? How soon after he passes? Yes. 
<laughs> That's tough. I mean, listen, uh, if there's a rule, it's do, don't speak ill of the dead, right? But, I mean, if you're actually embar- engaging in journalism, journalism or, you know, obituary writing, whatever, I mean, I think you kind of have to do it immediately. You can try to take a measured view. Um, I think, you know, to, to include all the information, but also to sort of take a a panorama of actually kind of engage with how the culture has felt with him at different points in time over the course of his life or career. Um, I mean, I don't think it would be irresponsible just to do a Bobby Knight hit piece if you felt convicted that that was the most accurate take on the man. Um, But it does seem like there are layers to this, that layers to him as a person and as a coach that, that, you know, you can address with some, if not tenderness, then some sort of, you know, considered touch as you're writing it. I don't know. What do you think? I think what's interesting about the world we live in now is that the legacy considering takes place in tweets as much as it does in actual obituaries. Yeah, that's a good point. So if you're doing the actual Bobby Knight obituary, and I bet if we just went and read every single one that was out there, they would deal with everything. Mm-hmm. And then the only question would be, is this in the second paragraph, the third paragraph? Like, when when do we get into stuff like Bobby Knight kicking his son on the sidelines of a game? That actually yeah. happened. Uh, you know, all the statements he, w- he made, the way he treated the press. We could go on and on here. But when it happens in tweets, that is a really, really strange manifestation of the kind of journalistic process you're describing mm-hmm. like when i first saw the news i think i saw it in the form of tweets from media organizations that were just like bobby knight legendary basketball coach has passed i remember seeing one from sports illustrated where someone and i don't know if they did this on their own or if this was a considered reaction did just the news with the emoji thank you hands mm-hmm I'm like Sports Illustrated, which published Frank DeFord on Bobby Knight a million years ago. We were, we were doing emoji thank you hands. Thank you, Bobby Knight. <laughs> and then the rest of the day was more, I think, the kind of legendary coach using, you know, words like controversial or complicated. Yeah. And then really not even linking to anything. And then day two was where, or maybe late in day one was where you saw the kind of stories rev up a little bit that were more critical or at least more measured. And I don't know, maybe the lesson is just don't read Twitter after something like this happens, because not only is it not a great way to take stock of a person like this, but it's not even really trying to take stock of a person like this, especially with just aggregate responses. Yeah. I was uh, drawn to a couple of pieces. Jay Billis had a really interesting one. He works for ESPN. Bob Knight was, did commentary for ESPN for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he had a lot of just memories of, of Knight and was able to describe through personal experience or I think some of these different parts of his character. Also had a lot of stories like Bob Knight just liked to go have lunch at hole-in-the-wall diners, even when they had a game to call on ESPN. And Billis is like calling the truck being like, hey, uh, he wants to sit down and have a full lunch right now. 
And I just don't know if we're going to actually be available to get to the game on time. Like, and I can't, <laughs> I can't tell him like, he's not going to listen to me. If, uh, if I tell him we got to go. Eamon Brennan also had a good piece um, comparing Bobby Knight to his dad, which really got to some interesting sort of depths there uh, in terms of not only the behavior of someone like this, but why a lot of people love people like this. Yeah. Despite their behavior. Why, why they present this image of masculinity or, you know, fatherhood, either literal fatherhood or metaphorical fatherhood, I guess, in a case of a coach. Uh, that was interesting. And then I saw Jonathan Chait's piece on New York Magazine. That was This was the headline. Bobby Knight was a misogynistic bully. The subhead was, I grew up hating the Indiana coach, and I was right. Wow. If you want something a little more straight to the point. Anyway, always fascinating to see how those obits roll out. Uh, I just found on Twitter... A picture, well, a video of him playing one-on-one with Dan Rather from a profile. (laughs) (laughs) There's some great just 80s video footage on Twitter of Bobby Dice. We need like a a Twitter account. You know, we have like 80s news screens. It's just the local news chirons that are funny. Mm -hmm. We need like things famous people did with reporters who were doing a profile of them on them. Oh, yeah. You could do a whole category that's just we're walking down the street together talking yeah. to get us from one shot to the next. But then there's the stunt one, like we played basketball. <laughs> Didn't Obama do that for at least a couple of TV uh, Yeah, profiles? definitely. Definitely. Oh, my God. There's also there's also a video of him flipping out during a during a postgame, a coach's show, which is very relevant to this episode. But that's a go. really famous one, too, with him, like, just yelling, damn it, and storming off after trying to answer a question. Um, yeah, there's some good stuff. And by the way, if you want just the guttural anti-Bob Knight uh, postscript, Charlie Pierce wrote it on Defector. There you go. Perfect writer, perfect place to, to, to launch it. I also saw, by the way, him doing a press conference. I think it was at the NCAA tournament where he decided he would grade all the reporters' questions. Mm-hmm. So they would ask him something, and then he, he was sitting down there like with a notepad and a pencil taking notes. <laughs> Being like C minus to your question because you're always grading me, so I'm going to grade you. <laughs> Speaking of coaching performance art. All right, David, one more for you before we get out of here. We always say in the world of media these days, critics of movies and TV shows don't have the same power they once did. But that doesn't mean they can't get under the skin of powerful people. There's a new story in Rolling Stone by Cheyenne Roundtree talking about how Casey Bloys, who is HBO's chairman and CEO, has been going at television critics. And the vehicle for this, David, was various Twitter aliases that were not Casey Bloys' own. (laughs) Let me give you an example here. So Vulture's Catherine Van Arendonk was tweeting about the show Perry Mason. I enjoyed some Perry Mason. Sad to see that got canceled. Anyway, Van Arendonk tweeted, Dear Prestige TV... Please find some way to communicate male trauma besides showing me a flashback to the hero's memories of trench warfare. According to Rolling Stone, Bloys, quote, sent Van Arendonk's tweet to Kathleen McCaffrey, HBO's senior vice president of drama programming. Quote, maybe a Twitter user should tweet that that's a pretty blithe response to what soldiers legitimately go through on the battlefield, he texted. 
do you have a secret handle? Couldn't we say, especially given that it's D-Day to do dismiss a soldier's experience like that seems pretty disrespectful. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. This must be answered. <coughs> he added, quote, we just need a random to make the point and make her feel bad. Now that tweet was never sent, but Cheyenne Roundtree and Rolling Stone did find some tweets that were sent. There was one with Alan Seppenwall had panned the show The Nevers. Mm-hmm. And a Twitter account of a person named Kelly Shepard replied to Seppenwall. Can I read you the bio of Kelly Shepard? Please. Mom, Texan, herbalist, aromatherapist, <laughs> vegan. <laughs> she Kelly definitely Shepard, lives in do Austin. we know you from yeah. high school? <laughs> no, she definitely lives in Austin. Uh, maybe Fort Worth. Maybe Fort Worth. <laughs> I love how that must have been crafted just to be like, I am an HBO, you know, mm-hmm. just somebody like there's some there's some there's something about that that gives you credibility with the critic of the HBO show, right? Absolutely. If you're not gonna listen to an aromatherapist, who you're gonna listen to. Same account when at New York, the New York Times is James Panawazic. Anyway, there was also a whole bit of the story about getting into the deadline comments, which is a really funny thing to be taking issue with. It's funny to me because we've, we've said a million times critics these days, it takes a miracle to be able to influence yeah. something like a television show, especially a big HBO show. I mean, doesn't going at critics just make it, make them and make their opinions bigger than if you just completely ignored it. Yeah, it does seem to sort of amplify it, but I guess at the point it's a, it, actually maybe said, it doesn't even a, amplify it. It just pisses them off. Right. Or just makes them either. Well, right. It's not about, no one's really going to notice the response except potentially the person who tweeted the, you know, the reviewer who tweeted the original tweet. So stay with that for a second. If you got a tweet like that. Yeah. Especially like the one that wasn't sent. Well, that's kind of a blithe response to on D-Day yeah. to say about the lives of American soldiers. Would that put a thought in your head about how you tweet about the show and, and think about it? Or would that just make you, would you just, you know, shake your head and be like, yeah, that's why I've been put on this earth to tweet things like that about HBO shows. I think that there is a, I think that there would probably be a certain tweet that would, that would register with me that make me think twice about tweeting blithely about military service again that's not the one the one he pre-pitched was not the right one and maybe the one that there was one that you know got out there after it was workshopped at hbo a little bit um but no i mean you when you get something that seems not just like unnecessarily offended by whatever you tweeted but like really specifically aggrieved in some direction that that generally just makes me chuckle and and move on. You do get them sometimes and they just hit right where it counts. Yeah. Their missile goes right into the Death Star ventilation shaft. Yeah. Yes. And you're like, wow, that is exactly what I did. And I'm not proud of the fact that I did that. Like you figured it out somehow. No, I mean, the thing that the, the, the big, the, the thing that everybody like us fears about Twitter is not taking, especially, I mean, but like us, I mean, people who are used to writing with like an editorial process or whatever is sort of firing something off without having considered it fully enough. Yes. And if, if that's what happens and if someone points that out, that can really sting, right? If, especially if they point out a way that 
you would not have foreseen to consider it further, right? Mm-hmm. But there, but yeah, nothing hurts more than just like you should have let that one simmer. And you're like, you're right. I should have. <laughs> anyway, boys uh, would call this boys. Excuse me, would call this a very very dumb idea. Uh, and also said, I have progressed over the past couple of years to using DMs. I also want to add, if you're a media member and you don't like something here on this podcast, please, and I am being serious, please reach out to David after this podcast is over. <laughs> no. Simoleon journalism, David. Uh, John Walters uh, points us to the word penned, as in wrote someone penned a letter. One of oh, these strangest. Yes. Penned. Yeah. Why in the world would anyone ever use the word penned except for the fact that they read other journalists using penned? Steve Davis draws us to the only in journalism phrase much maligned. Oh, yeah. Especially when it applies to sports, coach, or player Mm -hmm. that is much maligned. I love that one. Speaking of much maligned, it's time for David Shoemaker. Guesses the strained pun headline. Yeah. Last Monday's headline about a symphony concert for chickens was Beethoven's first symphony. And let me tell you something, every single press box listener, and these these are the good, this is the good version of people that tweet at you and tell you that you missed something. Yes. Every single one of them said, guys, the headline was easy. It was Bach, Bach, Bach. <laughs> I tried to reply to everyone. And you're like, you're right. We yeah, whiffed. that's right. That is so good. We whiffed. You're smarter than us. That's why we love you. Today's headline comes from alert listener, David Reed. It's from the Metro UK newspaper, David. Turns out that King Charles and you and I have something in common. <laughs> King Charles is worried about artificial intelligence. Oh, good. That's... I thought you were going to tell me I had that hand gigantism disease. (laughs) Charles made some remarks to that effect. I think that's all you need as you ponder what was Metro UK's strained pun headline. That's all I get? uh, Charles. That's all you get. King. um, AI. AI. Uh. Hmm. What if we think about beloved musicals? The King and AI? The King and AI. I didn't even have to sing Getting to Know You. Let me tell you, my (laughs) pipes are warmed up. Maybe next time. we got to play the Benny Hill theme first. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Pride Gertis. Production Magic by Steve Allman. Remember, just the Monday press box until further notice. But Shoemaker and I will return next Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian.